This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, January 27th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, getting green fuel up, up, and away. County hashes out society turn hospital details. Licensing issues force Green Dragon to temporarily shut down. And a mountain weather forecast. As climate change becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. Today, though, we're sticking to the San Juans. It's hard to imagine a carbon-neutral world without considering airplanes. Commercial aviation contributes about 2.5% of annual global CO2 emissions from fossil fuel use. But some airports are starting to find ways to bring that number down. It might be hard to tell, but that's the sound of a plane with lower carbon emissions. The aircraft is refueling on the tarmac at the Telluride Regional Airport, which last year began integrating sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF, into its operation. I guess a simple way to explain it, it's non-petroleum. You're not using oil, you're using vegetation, you're using uh, used vegetable oils, those kinds of things, into the manufacture of this fuel. Kenneth Manpa is Telluride's airport director. According to Manpa, Telluride is one of two airports in Colorado using the fuel. SAF has a lot of upsides. It can reduce aviation emissions by up to 80 percent. And it's interchangeable with conventional fuel, which helps on the equipment front. You don't have to change your infrastructure. You don't have to have it in a separate tank or anything else. The downside? Well, it's very expensive. Supply is one factor contributing to that cost. SAF is very limited in the U.S. That's according to Richard Thacker, Director of Integration and Operational Strategy at Atlantic Aviation, a company that services providers across the country. That's the real challenge with SAF right now. It's not particularly new technology, but again, it is very, very limited in quantity. And so it's very difficult to you know, get it to markets, especially in the interior portion of the, of the country. Demand is another factor. A lot of airports, according to Thacker, are asking for SAF. The requests are coming from coast to coast, and the answer is always the same. We're doing our best to get our hands on as much of supply as we possibly can, but right now it's it's very limited. That limited supply also complicates the green aspect of the fuel. Atlantic supplies SAF to Aspen-Pitkin County Airport, the other spot in Colorado using it. Thacker notes they had to be very thoughtful about transporting the fuel almost 1,200 miles to the mountain town. We didn't want the, the headline to be, Dirty Truck Delivers Clean Fuel. So we made sure that the transport trucks were utilizing renewable diesel to transport the, the product. And then we did the equation on that and made sure the carbon benefit or the loss of the carbon benefit of the SAF was minimal, and it was. Several major airlines, including United and British Airways, have used SAF. And there's a chance supply, and therefore cost, will be less of an issue in the future. Last year, the Biden administration announced a goal to ramp up domestic SAF production from the current level of roughly 4.5 million gallons per year to 3 billion by 2030. Dr. Tracy Dodd thinks that sort of top-down push is essential to make aviation green. Dodd is a researcher at the Adelaide Business School in Australia, 
who focuses on decarbonization. We wouldn't have renewable electricity if it wasn't for government intervention. And, and I think that airlines have been left holding the baby on this one, and everybody needs to get behind and support them. But Dodd also stresses more attention from governments starts with more focus from the public. People are not completely aware of the environmental impact of flying or that there are other options available. And so we need to increase awareness of that. And by doing that, legislators have a stronger mandate to increase regulation, which supports business. Along the way, Dodd adds, it's important not to greenwash and overstate the environmental benefits of existing green options. I feel if you were to look at a whole range of, of websites around sustainable aviation fuel, you would have a false sense of security that things are looking good. This is all positive. We can be carbon neutral. We don't have to make this trade-off. You know, I think that that's not helpful in the community conversation. Current SAF Dodd notes doesn't eliminate carbon from aviation completely. So carbon neutral flying will take more innovation and leadership. But Dodd also says she's optimistic that by 2050, she'll be able to fly on a plane and produce little to no carbon emissions. In the meantime, Manpa says the Telluride Regional Airport aims to increase its SAF usage over the next decade. The airport currently uses a fuel blend that's about 30% SAF. So if we can just keep increasing that, if manufacturing can scale up, we're first in line. There's certainly no shortage of incentives. As climate change intensifies, a warmer world could dent the winter and summer tourism ecosystem that draws planes and passengers to the airport in the first place. When it comes to big projects, the devil, as they say, is in the details. This week, the San Miguel County Board of Commissioners held a work session to discuss the details of one piece of a development at Society Turn, a new medical center. The commissioners met with the hospital district to discuss a memorandum of understanding for the development. The purpose of this MOU is to clarify some of the legal conditions around what they will need to do and what we're asking them to do related to their proposed hospital development on the society term parcel. That's County Manager Mike Bordonia at Wednesday's work session. County Attorney Amy Markwell notes it feels a bit like putting the cart before the horse, since there are some steps that still have to happen before the hospital district even owns the property, which the society term developer, Genesee Properties, Inc., plans to donate. And it is still contingent on that. However, the hospital district is doing a lot of groundwork in anticipation of Genesee getting the final approvals. And so they're going to want to hit the ground running <laughs> because they've got a lot of details on their end. Um, and so that's why we've just been sort of doing it simultaneously, even though this is contingent on other things. Another piece Bordonia notes is that the hospital district wants to apply for long-term low-interest funding from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to build the new hospital. And they're wanting to show that they have the agreements in place with the county to be able to move forward in that application. One of the main points of discussion around the MOU was housing. Because the hospital district is a special district, it doesn't have to follow typical requirements for employee housing mitigation. Still, Bordonia notes, both sides understand a larger facility will mean a need for more housing. As more employees occupy the future facility, uh, there will only continue to be a greater need for uh, housing those employees locally. The hospital district, Bordonia says, anticipates up to 20 additional employees 
on top of their current count of about 66 as a result of the larger facility over several years. According to Bordonia, at an earlier meeting, the county noted if the new hospital was a regular commercial development, about 18 units of employee housing mitigation would be required. Since they aren't required to do the full mitigation, the district has agreed to less. The hospital district um, has agreed to use commercially reasonable efforts to provide six housing units to be owned and operated by the district for their employees. The units, Bordonia explains, would be de-restricted, similar to Lawson Hill. Where there's not an income or asset level limitation to who can occupy those for the employees of the medical center. The county, Bordonia adds, has specified the hospital district cannot purchase deed-restricted lots that already count for mitigation for another project. That eliminates the chance of double counting. The commissioners, however, are concerned the language in the MOU doesn't reflect that intention. Here's Commissioner Chris Holstrom. My thing is just um, just really making sure that it's clear in here. This is not taking away any units that are currently required for mitigation. I don't want to tie anyone's hands on creatively solving uh, and bringing in additional housing units. I'm just not sure that it, because it, I mean, it doesn't to me say that clearly. The commissioners are also concerned that the MOU doesn't lay out a timeline to build the housing. Here's Holstrom again. I would, would not be happy if the med center got built and the employee housing gets put off and put off indefinitely. Members of the hospital district team note adding a specific timeline could complicate their efforts to get USDA funding. But Chris Chafin, a member of the Telluride Regional Medical Center Board of Directors, notes the hospital district acknowledges the housing issue. We recognize there is an absolute need for affordable housing in the region and specifically for the hospital. We, we need it. And so it's a matter of the steps to get there. The commissioners also want language assuring the housing will only be for employees of the hospital district. The county plans to meet with the hospital district to iron out the language to address the commissioners' concerns in the hopes of formally approving the MOU at a meeting next week. The Green Dragon on Telluride's Main Street has temporarily closed after the town's marijuana licensing authority denied a major change application regarding a change in ownership to Ease Technologies, a California-based company. According to town documents, the licensing authority did not approve an initial application from the dispensary in November, citing inconsistencies and that the application was incomplete. An amended application submitted in December was denied. Again, the authority said it was incomplete and did not identify all principals and owners. This week, according to a letter sent to town by Green Dragon, the dispensary called the town's request, quote, unreasonable, arbitrary, and capricious, noting essentially that some shareholders have such small stakes that that would not be meaningful information to have. Here's Dan Kramer, general counsel for Green Dragon. You can imagine why that's problematic. It, it would be one thing if it was a simple disclosure, but they also want background and fingerprints for every single person on the capitalization ta- table. That's thousands of people. Lisa Leader is one of the company's owners. She adds there aren't really any changes at the on-the-ground management and operations level with the new ownership. There's no change at all at any level except a parent company is coming on top of us. 
Green Dragon requested an emergency hearing in response to the denial, adding that Telluride is the only jurisdiction they operate in to reject their change of ownership application. Town attorney Kevin Geiger responded in a letter that the Marijuana Licensing Authority interpreted the municipal code in a, quote, strict but proper manner. He adds there is no established process for town council to enjoin an action of the Marijuana Licensing Authority or to hold an emergency hearing for that. Geiger notes Green Dragon can request that town council amend the municipal code or resubmit an application with all the information requested by the authority. The town of Telluride has repealed water restrictions put in place earlier this month. The restrictions urged widespread water conservation and prohibited several uses of municipal treated water, including washing sidewalks, filling swimming pools, hot tubs or landscape water features, and most non-commercial car washing. Town repealed the restrictions on Thursday. The Telluride Foundation announced this week the Norwood Planning and Zoning Commission has recommended final plat approval for their housing construction project in Norwood. With that approval and the assurance that Town of Norwood trustees will vote to adopt the final plat on February 9th, a sales website has gone live for prospective homebuyers. The Pinion Park neighborhood, located south of the Lone Cone Library in Norwood, will break ground next month and provide 24 affordable, deed-restricted, single-family homes. The Telluride Foundation says the homes will be constructed in the new Fading West factory in Buena Vista and be ready to move in later this summer. They will be deed-restricted, so buyers need to be within specific income thresholds to be eligible, and priority will be given to those who work in the Norwood School District. For more information, head to pinionparknorwood.co. The mountains, the festivals, and the skiing may be a major draw for the Telluride region, but another is the charm that comes from the town's commitment to historical preservation. Last year, Telluride celebrated 60 years as a National Historic Landmark District. As part of that celebration, the Telluride Historical Museum and the town's Historic Preservation Department collaborated to put out Telluride Then and Now. The special edition journal looks into the history of historic preservation in Telluride and highlights many of the historical resources around town. It includes profiles of several historic local buildings, including Town Hall, the County Courthouse, the Elementary School, the New Sheridan, and the Transfer Warehouse. The limited edition publication is available at the Telluride Historical Museum and Rebecca Hall. Colorado Democrats want to permanently extend a law passed at the beginning of the pandemic to protect people who report unsafe working conditions. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. Sponsors say more than 100 people have filed complaints under the new law, which was meant to shield workers from retaliation if they complained about a lack of protective equipment or social distancing at work. Seven of the complaints resulted in settlements. State Representative Leslie Harrod said it was especially important for workers at grocery stores and hospitals. We need to stand up with and stand up for the rights of our essential workers. We must treat them with the respect they deserve. Harrod says workers will need the whistleblower protections after the public health emergency has ended. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol.
Lift Lines Comics is a popular commentary on mountain town life focused on Jackson, Wyoming, but the jokes apply to many other resort towns. Now, the artist behind the comic is publishing a graphic novel called The Ski Town Fairy Tale. Jack Catlin of KHOL Jackson interviewed Ryan Stolp about the struggle of living the dream. Ryan Stolp is a cartoonist, illustrator, and marketing professional based here in Jackson. Stolp is the co-founder of Origin Media, a full-service digital and marketing agency, as well as the creator of the popular Lift Lines Comics, a three-times-per-week comic in the JH News and Guide and published on Instagram. Your graphic novel, who you co-authored with Sam Morse, is called The Ski Town Fairy Tale, and it's about chasing the dream in a ski town. What made you decide to make a long-form graphic novel, and how did the concept come to be? So Sam Morse used to live in Jackson, and he wrote The Bumian, which was a TGR kind of like graphic satirical post. And he moved to Salt Lake City a couple years ago and ended up reaching out to me because he knew lift lines. And he had been mulling over this idea of a ski town fairy tale. And he really wanted to tell a kind of deeper story about ski towns. I think it gets idolized and kind of put on a pedestal in a lot of ways. And he was someone that, you know, really dealt with all sides of the complexities of, uh, you know, making it work here. He reached out to me and uh, we started riffing on the idea and ended up putting together this a deeper story. And I told him like, hey, I'm, I'm really, I wanna draw it in this style. Um, I know that you know lift lines, but I wanted a kind of new challenge. Lift lines is a quick get the concept out there. Um, and this graphic novel is a, a much more intentional, polished kind of format. What exactly is that dream? And how has the vision of that dream shifted in recent years? We kind of like start the story off with uh, FOMO. It's kind of a digital addiction. You know, everyone is curating their online worlds and their social media accounts. And I think that it's easy to think that what you're seeing on people's feeds is them living the dream. But there's certainly some self-editing that's going on. So what is the dream? I think they're kind of moralistic aspirations, you know, being true to yourself, adventuring, having fun, um, living in the moment. But I think that it's getting more complicated in a world of work. You know, you're always plugged in. It's harder to kind of be simple and, and, and be present, I would mm -hmm. say. And then you have a lot of economic factors. So as outdoor recreation has exploded. There is a demand and a competition to live in these places. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are regulations. You can't camp in your van like you used to in the 70s, wherever you want. So th it's getting harder and harder and harder. Uh, look at the rising price of lift tickets or the equipment to do things. So we discussed a lot about what it means to live the dream in mm -hmm. developing this, this story. And hopefully it starts a conversation because I think the dream is a bit of a mindset. It's kind of how you approach life, I think it needs to evolve beyond a place or a time or an activity because those things are really up for discussion right now as far as their viability. So the ski town, and specifically here in Jackson Hole, can feel like a bubble, a self-contained and at sometimes crazy universe. What is it about the culture of ski towns that you think creates this kind of atmosphere? I've noticed living here, 
you're kind of always like one foot in a vacation because the people around you are all on vacation and they're here to spend money, go out every night. And when you are a resident here, you're constantly buffeted by those winds. And then when you have people saying, oh, look where I live. It's so beautiful. I got stuck in a bison jam this morning. I think Instagram has really elevated these places as a status symbol and created uh, more competition with the limited space, housing, jobs, opportunities in these communities that's really turned out the heat on what it means to, to try and make it here. It requires a certain amount of extra effort to live here. And mm -hmm. I think when everyone can share in that kind of like, yeah, I'm really trying to make it work. I'm putting my values first and saying I'm willing to hold two jobs to be able to share in this lifestyle is really powerful and super cool. And, and I think something that's missing in a lot of people's, you know, intentional day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the that's the silver lining, the beauty of a ski town. It does spit people out though. And whether you like uh, burn, burn hot and fast um, and get ejected or you're hanging on for dear life, uh, there's some weird dynamics that kind of compound and happen quicker in a time frame than maybe your arc had you lived in a different way. Yeah, like, and sometimes life. it's luck, sometimes it's not, you know. Totally. But it mirrors that like live in the moment thing. You don't know how long it's going to last. You know, you're a local when every day you wake up and you're like, is this where I need to be in a year? Can it work? Like, am I going to regret being in this like, like a no man's land? Mm -hmm. You can find Liftlands comics three times per week in the GH News and Guide and on Instagram at Liftlands underscore comics. I'm Jack Catlin and this is KHOL Jackson. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 0 degrees and wind chill values as low as negative 10. Friday, expect sunny skies with a high around freezing. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low in the mid-teens. Saturday calls for sunny skies with a high near 40 degrees. Saturday night should be mostly clear with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, January 27th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention Kodo listeners. Mountain Sprouts Preschool is having a fundraiser. From Tuesday, February 1st at 5 p.m. to Saturday, February 5th at 5 p.m., you can bid on a variety of items to help support Telluride Kids at the Mountain Sprouts online silent auction. Items include local staycations, gift cards, yoga passes, and much more. Our grand prize is a three-night stay at Coro Sun Resort in Fiji. So log on to www.32auctions.com slash MSP 2022. That's M as in mountain, S as in sprouts, P as in preschool, 2022 to place your bids. Cash donations will also be accepted. Thank you so much for your support. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.